My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is Adeep Desai. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. Likewise. It's Pretty Lady Day. Have you noticed? I've noticed. I'm bring, bringing in the pretty ladies That's for right. you. That's right. I agree. Because we have uh, Kim Zubik here as our guest. Hello, mm, Kim Zubik. It's a good thing this is voice only. Oh, please. <laughs> She's starting already. <laughs> please. You know, when you came over the other day, I told Pat, oh, Kim's coming over. He goes, in a bikini. I was like, <laughs> right. yes, mm-hmm. she's coming over in a bikini, Pat. I'm so. in it now. Yeah. So that's, For all of those of you who are wondering. That's how <laughs> notorious Kim is for being cute. <laughs> so uh, Kim, other than just being cute, is also a producer um, mm-hmm. currently for her own company, Zubik Film, right? Correct. Is it Zubik Film or Zubik Films? Plural. Ah, Zubik I have Films. big aspirations. <laughs> to do more than one film. <laughs> yeah, to do more than one. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. And actually, you've done you've done uh, more than one. Um, uh, Kim's experience includes uh, president of production for Mike Tolan's company, president of production for Robert Simon's company, uh, senior VP of production for Alan Stewart's company. She has been involved in movies, uh, produced movies such as License to Wed, Yours, Mine, and Ours, and has been involved in movies like The Pink Panther, Rebound, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and is currently working on two big features. Pretty big. Yeah, relatively zoo- big. Yeah. yeah. The Zookeeper's Wife <clears throat> and Alive and Well. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about those. Well, uh, Zookeeper's Wife is a very special, near and dear to the heart kind of project that I've been working on since end of 2007. And uh, it's been through a lot of incarnations, but we're extremely excited now because we recently got Jessica Chastain attached and I've excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, actually that little up and comer there. Yeah. We wow. we uh we got the script to her right before the Oscars. So she wow. read it kind of during that a very exciting time. And um and we have an amazing director, Nikki Caro, who came on board and and uh oversaw another draft of the script, which I have to say, the reason this is such an exciting project is that we have just an extraordinary writer in Angela Workman who came on board and did an extraordinary adaptation of the book. Uh, it's wonderful material to begin with, um, but Angela really got in there and, and uh, figured out how to turn this into a movie. It was not obvious from the beginning. So it's been it's been a very long road, uh, but a, a, an exciting and a great one. Uh, I have some wonderful partners, producers that I'm working alongside with, and uh, we are very excited because uh, Annapurna Panorama actually uh, has come on board and they want to bring it to life with us. They just took it to Cannes, and uh, there was a lot of excitement about it. So. 
now we just have to get all the nuts and bolts together, and hopefully we'll be making it this time next year. In Poland, right? I don't know yet. Uh, Somewhere in Eastern Europe, most mm. likely. It kind of boils down to dollars and cents, unfortunately, like everything else. Uh, but there are a lot of different options, mostly Eastern European-based or... Like Bulgaria and... and Romania, Romania, Hungary. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of support from Poland, and we would love to shoot there if we can. We may need to do some exteriors there. Not sure yet. We're kind of exploring all that right now, which is kind of fun. And now tell us about Alive and Well, because I don't know if I know about that. Alive and Well uh, is another labor of love, near and dear to the heart kind of project. And it's interesting that the two of these projects are coming to light around the same time. Um, This is an idea that David Hubbard, the writer, um, came up with. And he mentioned it to me in a general meeting Ken Quapis and I had had worked on License to Wed together, and we're looking for the next thing to do together. And he happened to have a meeting with Ken set up for the same week or the next week or something like that. And and as soon as I heard the kernel of this idea, I called Ken and I said, yeah, you got to hear this. And sure enough, it became something that we all got very excited about. And we actually tried to sell it as a pitch. Um, and uh, that that would be a whole conversation in and of itself. Well, pitch, uh, pitches trying are really to, hard to sell these days well, without... and this was 2009. Yeah. Oh, right after... And we probably yeah. should have just bought matching guns and shot ourselves <laughs> in the head. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we decided to do it the hard way. And uh, we, we actually got quite a bit of interest. There were a couple of very high-level executives at different studios who just could not get it past their marketing departments, who at the mm. time were really determining the choices of who of what material they bought. Hmm. And uh, so then David went off and ended up writing it on his own. Um, well, on his own, you know, obviously we all stayed in touch and, and worked with him. And uh, I had just met Vendome Pictures, the executives at Vendome Pictures, because they had shown some interest in Zookeeper's Wife, ironically. Um, and I brought them this script when it was finally finished. And they flip for it and and loved it and uh so we were very lucky because we got them on board as partners right away and they're an incredible company uh philippe rousselet uh based in france and um so yeah now we're we're just trying to cast it and if you look on amdb it is not a documentary as it it's is listed. it is not they, they've conflated two projects called alive and well which is and i've already written them nasty fan mail but <laughs> Uh, it's 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 not a documentary. Can you say what it's about? Since it sounds like the idea yeah. was so got you that you could even you know try and get it out there on pitch. Well, it's a it's a supernatural romance, and it's really the idea is if you had a second chance uh, to be reintroduced to who you were twenty years ago, basically. Uh, a man comes back from from the afterlife, from the dead, 20 years later. He's still 25 um, and discovers that the world has moved on 20 years, including his wife is now in her 40s. And his son is his age and his wife is remarried. And it's sort of a, a love triangle of sorts mm-hmm. uh, in which she has to, she comes face to face with who she was 20 years ago 
and that kind of shakes things up for her in her current marriage that she's sort of gotten complacent in. And by the time she figures out which way she should go, I, I don't want to give away the end. I don't want to tell you. <laughs> Got it. Got it. But uh, it's a very emotional ending. Uh, and it just is kind of a what if, big what if story. It's kind of like on Facebook when those old boyfriends and or yeah. old girlfriends yeah. come back and like, hey, just wonder what you're doing. I don't get that. Yeah, no, you no. know, you don't get that. Oh, no. oh well, you're not. You're not. You know, I'm. I might be at a different stage of life where every, everybody's breaking up. And uh, as I get, the person, yeah, just, yeah, didn't yeah. really work out. It's just, it was funny when you, no, no. Uh, I don't know what you're talking. about. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to me. I just boiled down like this amazing, beautiful story to just to a Facebook moment. Just to a. To I've, a but by the way, superficial pitch than what I just superficial did, so. Facebook. <laughs> Moments. Yeah, but yeah. it does just because I don't have that experience doesn't mean that many people have that experience. Because <laughs> no one wants to see me again once I'm gone. That's the thing. That's I'm serious. It didn't really work out with so and so. We got two yeah. kids. Just wondering what you're doing. No, so, see you out there. <laughs> so, but yours yeah. is somebody actually coming back in another form, and it's supernatural yeah. and it's beautiful. That sounds cool. Yeah, it and then cool. and and. Is that going to production? Did you just say? Is it? Uh, we're trying to cast it. Cool. And if we can, we'll go this fall. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you have some two so big fast. projects that are yeah. happening at one time. Yeah. Well, hopefully not at the same time, which was always my fear. But yeah. uh, it sounds like we could get traction on Live and Well first. Uh, well, in terms of when we can go into production. Zookeeper's Wife, we have to wait for Jessica Chastain to be available, um, which is a year from now. Oh, well. So it gives us time. Yeah. Put it together. Figure yeah. ourselves out. Because <laughs> we needed more time. Because right. we've only been working on that since 2007. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what I wanted to do, because I have a million questions just to ask you about those two projects, but I'm not gonna. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the burden off of you for a second. And, and now flip it around from a writer's point of view. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you have worked on big movies, medium-sized movies, and actually are working on a very tiny movie with me. So yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I've rooked uh, Kim into being a co-producer on this little tiny indie that I want to do. Um, so what I, I think that the, the writers out there would like to know is if they have a big movie, a medium-sized movie, or a tiny movie, what would be sort of their ideal producer, and what does that mean? What, what should they go for? And I'd love to talk about the process, let's say, that it, that it worked. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think because you really do want to go for different kinds of producers depending on the size of your film. Exactly, and the term producer is, is it means a million things. It's one of the most so, exploited terms of all time. True. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so when <clears throat> you know, people out there who've written a spec go, okay, now you have to have a producer – it should be specifically what kind of producer, what kind of company. So let's start big. Let's say somebody has a big action movie or a, something that's expensive, okay? What, well, what would be their ideal kind of producer to get? I, I just want to say first that I think the, the business has become more polarized than mm-hmm. it used to be. And that, that informs a little bit, unfortunately, um, what kinds of movies are going to succeed. And so big is one option, small is another. It, those are the two options. I think medium really is not so much of an option. I'll t- I, I can tell you why I think that. But yeah, tell me if why. you have a big idea mm-hmm. and a big movie, um, 
<clears throat> there are probably half a dozen producers that can get that done in this town That's right it? now. Yeah, well, maybe a few more, but. Is that in the hundred million over range in terms of budget? Yeah, those are the tentpole. Yeah. I'm imagining that's what you mean by big, mm-hmm. the tentpole kind of movie where you absolutely need a star. <clears throat> you're going to need special effects. You're going to need a big budget. And those are really the only kinds of movies that studios do anymore. And mostly the, the I don't even know that the producers have overall deals with the studios at that level anymore either. Mm-hmm. It used to be that. The studios made all the movies, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a range of different movies that you could make. And so there were a range of different kinds of producers at the studio. And they tried to differentiate. They tried to have, like, a cross-pollination of different sizes of producers. That's no longer true in my experience. I mean, they, they may still have associations with different levels of producers, but they don't have the deals with them. And, you know, each studio has its own kind of tentpole producer or producers that they want to do business with. And it's really hard to set up one of these big movies outside of those relationships. So, you know, I, I don't, off the top of my head, I, I I don't really work in that space as much. Um, but, you know, the Dan Lins and the, the well, you've got the big guys, the J.J. Abrams and all those kinds of guys. The Scott um, Rudens. The Scott Rudens. And although Scott Rudin he does small movies doesn't yeah. do the tent poles as much as he does the prestige, yeah, I think. I love um, every Scott Rudin movie. Yeah. I would just like to have a whole podcast de- dedicated to Scott Rudin movies. But I guess I, I should probably clarify. What I mean is it doesn't have to be sort of who are the ideal producers to get it to. It's if you have a big movie, what would be the ideal situation that a writer would find themselves in? Because let's talk about, you know, a studio is a producer, okay? Mm-hmm. Instead of it just being one person, a studio is producing this movie. So what would be the ideal situation for, for a, you wrote a, a big spec, you get lucky, what would be the kind of, of, of production situation that would happen next? Um, you mean in terms of the writer staying involved or... No, what okay. one assumes the writer will not get involved. What 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 would be the ideal situation as far as selling it goes and it getting set up? Like how how the ideal situation for getting it from page to screen? Well, everything is going to boil down to cast mm-hmm. across the board, mm-hmm. and so even getting it to one of these producers at the studio mm-hmm. isn't going to be enough unless there's interest from a significant piece of cast eventually. So. You know, that's another way to go, actually, is is to get it to the Johnny Depp company and mm-hmm. suddenly it becomes a Johnny Depp movie and, and that pushes it through the system more easily because sometimes even having a great concept and a big idea isn't going to be enough. Um, and I'm feeling a little stupid because I'm not sure I'm understanding the question <laughs> completely, but um, I, I think you... You can't get a big movie done outside of the studio system, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. So you need that's the first step is you need to get it in into the studio. And the way to do that is with the right producer. Mm-hmm. Typically, that producer is going to have relationships with these big pieces of talent. And that's going to be the next ingredient that you need uh, to really push it forward and get it some traction. But do you need, you need, you need to have an agent that has relationships with, with cast and with producers? Or can well, you... 
You mean in order to get it in in yeah, the first place? Yeah, to get place? it in the first place. Well, you need to know somebody. Yeah. You can either know, by the way, if you know an assistant working at the production company of the big producer, that could be enough. Um, or if you do have an agent who can get traction for you. But I'm I'm kind of assuming that uh, there is at least one person that you know who can get it to somebody. You right. know what I mean? Um, so yeah, you, you definitely need you need that door opened. So ideally, you have a studio that buys it. Okay, mm-hmm. so so still they're going to option. As- they'll option the script, mm-hmm. and then they'll want to rewrite it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the hardest part, and the part where it really boils down to the producer and the relationship that you have, because the studio is going to want to put their mark on it. Right away, most likely, uh, and they have a whole stable of writers they like to work with, and They'll so bring in the Steve Zalians and the those yeah guys. whoever their top ten yeah. people are. Um, and the way around that is to have somebody negotiate your deal in such a way that they have to pay you for a draft. They're not going to want to just give you a check and see you later. They'll have you do the work, and then you have an opportunity to prove yourself. And that's and, a st- sort of a step deal where you're yeah. doing different stages of rewrites, getting notes back. Mm-hmm. And if you're not meeting those notes, then they have every right in the world to say, okay, well, we gave you your shot. We're going to bring in somebody else. But that's not usually for an option, right? That's for sale? Uh, well, what they'll usually, they'll usually option it with a writing contract attached. Mm-hmm. So, um, or I, I mean, I guess they, would, they could buy it outright. Do, do they not buy things outright as much as they used to? Not as much as they used to. So in a way, they're, they're, they're going more for an option agreement, mm-hmm. saying, okay, if it gets to this certain place, right, then we'll take it to the next stage, and then we'll buy it from you? Or or we, we're going to option it long enough to get these attachments so that we know that commercially it's going to work? There's not a lot of development being done. There's not a lot of packaging even being done at the studio level anymore. That's, um, that's new, right? I mean, the last... Three, yeah. four years where the packaging thing kind of fell away. Yeah. And and so more often, if we're just talking about getting it to what kinds of producers and that kind of thing, if you get it to the production company, they're not going to want to buy it. Mm-hmm. They want the studio to buy it. But mm-hmm. they'll option it so they can control the material. And then they'll maybe, you know, unless they think the, the script needs some work, they'll take a shot at getting it to Johnny Depp or whoever. I don't know why I'm using him, but whatever. Um, he turned 50 this week. Well, yeah. there you go. <laughs> I'm celebrating him. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and and they'll try to put as much behind it as they can before they even take it to the studio. Um cuz the studio, yes, they will if if they're going to get that invested, they will buy it. Okay. So, yeah. what we're talking about is ideally, you're mm-hmm. you're you're you wrote something big. You want to get it to a, a a production company that has a relationship with a studio, that production company is going to option it from you so that they can spend time with it, pack, potentially getting somebody bigger attached, on it, yeah. attached, and having you do as many rewrites as they find appropriate, mm-hmm. then getting it to the studio, and the studio still does buy. Mm-hmm. Right, so the studio then buys, and then you're happy, and then you're kicked off of it forever and ever. But that's okay because you can rebuild yeah, it because you bank, go right? buy a house or whatever. Okay, so that's still yeah. what you want. So you want a you want a production company or a producer that has a relationship with a studio that actually buys big movies, right? Right, and yet 
only like six of those producers are really around that have that kind of clout with a studio to bring something that big in. Yeah, yes? it's really it's it's hard to to sell a big movie. Um because a lot of the big movies that they make are attached to a franchise of some sort mm-hmm. and or a brand or a you know it's a remake or a sequel or a, there's not a lot yeah. of new frankly there's a bias i have but um <laughs> it, it's not impossible but if if you're a relatively new screenwriter trying to get discovered and make your mark it better be a pretty special script if it's going to be a really big production budget for it to to be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you write a really great one, people will read it and go, wow, in another life that would have been awesome, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it works as much as it used to to, to write big mm-hmm. to, to, in terms of budget, in terms of, you know, crazy blowing shit up and, <laughs> you know. So, okay, that's where I guess I'm thinking medium size for the next level that we talk about, okay? The idea being that it's maybe not something that it requires huge action set pieces and special effects, but might have a high enough concept like Alive and Well, where you know that you're going to need A-list actors. This is not an independent movie. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't coming of age. This isn't all about characters. It's about idea, and it's going to have a sort of a commercial sheen to it. Um, so that is a certain budget, but it's not, it's not so huge. Where, where do those kind of movies well, fall? Well, it's interesting because you're helping me redefine big. Okay. Because what I was just talking about is big budget. Uh-huh. Big idea is mm-hmm. something different. Big idea is what you want to go for more than big budget, mm-hmm. obviously. And that said, mm-hmm. Alive and Well, for example, mm-hmm. Uh, depending on who ends up being in the cast, we're not going to spend a lot of money on it. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be under thirty. Mm-hmm. So, and and I actually think once you get to thirty, you're in a really dangerous zone. Between thirty and a hundred is a really dangerous. It's like no man's land. Yeah, right? it's no man's land. Okay. You just don't want to be in that in that area. Yeah. So, and that's why something like Alive and Well. Even with big cast and and you know a significant director and all the rest, we're there's gonna be downward pressure on that budget. We're gonna try and do it you know for as much less than thirty as we can uh, because th- it doesn't make sense financially otherwise. And so you know it's kind of a more it's a big idea, but it's expressed in a confined way. Um, and and so is this where a producer like you would, would get involved? You're now. Imagine the writer, and they've written this something with a, a really special idea, like you said, special idea, but in a confined way, so it's not over thirty million dollars. What, where would they be angling their project? What kind of producer, and what happens next? Well, there's been a lot of migration away from the studios uh, and toward the more independent production companies and it's a slightly different model financially you don't get paid up front in the way you know it used to be in the glory days of the studios you get development money and you know development fees as a producer producers by the way don't get paid until the movies in the can pretty much um, but there are places like Vendome who you know they can independently finance 
up to 40 million or whatever it is. Uh, and they do that by digging into foreign pockets and stuff like that, and they can pull the money together. Um, and there, there are more and more of those companies emerging. You know, there's Film Nation, there's mm-hmm. uh, Indian Paintbrush, there's... Um, I'm just not thinking of the names off the top of my head, but they're they're these kind of mid-sized, well, I consider them mid-sized um, companies that don't develop a lot, but they do develop at a certain point. You know, there there aren't that many companies that do what's called deep development, which is you know starting from a book, which unfortunately is one of my fortes. <laughs> many of my projects originate as books. Um, and they end up trying to spend very little money, and that's where the option thing comes in, where they'll want to option the script and maybe do guild minimum kind of rewrites up front so that they can then take the, the material out and get the cast put together, at which point they can then put the money together out of foreign and everywhere else. I mean, that was the idea behind Zookeeper's Wife, which also, by the way, is going to be well under $30 million. Um, they they needed to have Jessica attached to be able to go and get the money to now have a sense of, okay, here's how much money we're going to get. Uh, now we know how how we can proceed, you know. And, and it's a very different model. It takes a little bit longer. But ultimately it's a, I don't know, I think it's a more dynamic process because my experience of having stuff set up at the studios is that it, it's just a really slow-moving, giant machine, uh, which is going to give you a lot more craft services, but, <laughs> you know, and it's really awesome. Uh, but it takes forever to get a movie made. It does, and, and as we were talking about before we even started talking, uh, it, things can languish really easily in that in that system. That's where development hell comes in yeah. because... <laughs> and it's it's sort of interesting as to why. I mean, if you've got the money right there, <laughs> right. you know, do, doesn't it's everybody want to make a movie? Yeah. But that's where the idea of like you've got such a large committee and everybody's got to have some kind of say so. And you know, is it just is it right there? It, it's like they're there and then they're kind of afraid to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Is what it, it seems like. Whereas you guys know you want to pull the trigger, you just have to get the money mm-hmm. to do that. And once you get the money, you've got to pull the trigger because you're dealing with people's lots of financing sources, right, right? Right. What do uh, foreign companies get out of giving uh, American companies money to make well, movies? Well, they don't actually hand over the money yeah. right away. But but there's a a contract or a gentleman's agreement or whatever that they will give you X amount for in exchange for the right to release the movie in their territory. And whatever money they make in their territory, when they release the film, they keep minus the amount that they've promised to us. And that's that's the foreign presale market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know it's a, it's it's slippery a little bit because you know there are certain territories that you know they say, well, pff, I did promise you that much, but it's not worth it to give you that much now. And you know, so it's after it's the a, fact. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So well, anyway, but that's, but that's also where you get a conflict. I would imagine with, you know, if it's a if it's something that's going to play well in a foreign market, it's got to be something that translates visually, which is where you get the idea of sort of horror movies or big explosions or whatever. Now mm-hmm. you're now you're back to a high budget 
Well, but this is the really fascinating thing. It is a science that I will never understand. If I do this for 150 more years, I'll never understand the value of different talent for foreign. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, changes. It's changed while we've been sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's fascinating yeah. who, who they can sell overseas and who they can't. Like at one point, only Will Smith could get into certain markets like Germany and Japan, right? Right. And stuff like that. Right. But, and then it just well, there's shifts also overnight. Because, you know, some actors will spend a lot more time and energy selling the movie. And that also gains them more oh, cue okay. internationally. Um, and I, I can't keep track of it. I have no idea. <laughs> who's 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 particularly hot right now or th- that you've, you know, were surprised at? Uh I don't even know how to answer that because there are some people like, for example, Sharon Stone, huge overseas. My ex-lover, Sharon Sharon Stone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My old girlfriend, Sharon Stone. She's huge overseas. And and so we get Jessica Chastain and we think, well, Well, Jesus, she's white hot, you know. Mm -hmm. Yes, she is domestically. And by the way, they like her foreign too, but... Sharon Stone. Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I know. Now, old Sharon, wow. like Sharon Stone when she was younger, or like Sharon like a robot Stone that now. looks like no, Sharon like, Stone, like now. Wow. Yeah. When yeah. I was in Poland, I swear you could have called the place Beyonce Land. Warsaw oh, was really? Beyonce Land. <laughs> Everywhere <laughs> yeah. I looked, it was Beyonce. I'm like, how? It's just well, Beyonce, it's like Beyonce's uh, globally oh, beloved. She was yeah. everywhere. She was out outside of my window. She was. Yeah. Subway, she was everywhere. What's his name? There, There is a, a TV actor, uh, I'm forgetting his name, he's so huge in Germany that he, he like lives there now or something. I, I'm trying Hasselhoff. To, yes. Oh, Hassel, yeah. Hasselhoff. Ha- yeah. Hasselhoff is yes. big? Oh, oh my, oh. He's huge in oh, Germany. I mean, he <laughs> has been He's like royalty forever. in Germany. Like it's since Knight Rider, he was, he's been yeah. big in Germany. Because so, he, when he him. had did his singing, like he on tour as a singer yeah and he would always go to germany because he would just sell out arenas and stuff still that's awesome that's that's great and by the way it's different from territory to territory which is why there's no agreement there's no like uniform well if you just get you know sharon stone even i mean that may not work in belgium i don't know i don't know you know it's crazy that is so funny okay so so you've got (laughs) sorry we digress no 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 you got this medium I shouldn't say medium size. You've got under thirty million. You've got in a fact really you big try idea for under twenty if you can. Under twenty. I'm just saying. Um, what would under twenty mean? Like, like you know, writers out there aren't aren't budgeting as they go. No, no makeup. No, <laughs> what, what, One actor. What does that mean to you? An under twenty million movie. What is? What are sort of? Is the it look means and the more ideas? character and less shenanigans. I mean, ah. less big set less, pieces. And less big like set that. pieces. Also. You know, it's interesting because I, I did my own little breakdown of Zookeeper's Wife at one point. Um, so I don't know how accurate it was. But I, I noticed how few locations we were in. And much of it takes place inside a villa. Because I don't know if you know the story. But the basic one-liner is uh, the Zookeeper. It's based on a true story. Zookeeper and his wife in Warsaw, Poland during World War II hid hundreds of Jews. by They, they helped them escape from the ghetto and hid them at the villa in the zoo as part of the underground and then move them out and they saved 300 plus I don't know how many Jews this way and so a lot of the story takes place in the villa well so that helps us with the budget because then yeah. we just go and build a set mm. of the villa and there we are we have the one time cost of building it and then you know 
So why would you need to shoot that in an in, in overseas market if you're just in a villa on a because, set? Because and I, I I don't I'm making up these numbers a little bit, but you can shoot in Romania for four million dollars what it would cost fifteen to shoot in Germany or Louisiana. Okay. So it's because you pay your extras 25 cents a week. You, I mean, I'm exaggerating, mm-hmm. but, um, but seriously, it, it, okay. you're not dealing with the same union issues. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's exploitation, but at the same time, you know, you're bringing work to the country. I don't know. I Do don't you know. have a, some, some money with you to grease a couple of Well, you there. need that. <laughs> you need that. <laughs> I, I have a, a friend of mine who, uh, um, worked with me on a couple films, worked on the Will Smith movie in China with his son, The Karate Kid. Uh-huh. Is that what it was? Karate yeah. Kid um, yeah. Or, oh no, the remake. Yeah. The remake. Um, yeah. And apparently spent more greasing palms than was documented on paper. And they knew it oh. going in that that was how it was going to be. Interesting. Yeah. The life of a producer. Yeah. Okay, so you're, again, writer's point of view, um, so now we've got way more than six producers. Um, we've got a number of production companies that want to make these kind of movies. They may be pooling, pulling money from various sources. Okay. Um, now, again, representation is always key. But if they don't have a representative, going to the assistant at the company if they have a relationship. So then you've got sort of a, more opportunities, right, for, mm-hmm. for writers out there to mm-hmm. actually... Get something out there, there is actually more opportunity now for writers than there used to be because really? the, oh. the channels are not as defined, hmm. and there are infinite number more companies who are piecing things together, and it's become kind of like a, a cooperative, you know. I mean, whereas you used to have one producer who was going to make the movie and he took it to his one studio executive pal and set it up and off they went. By the time you get to the floor on one of these movies, there could be 20 producers who at different levels, different they each have different jobs, piece you know, of doing, it. and those are 20 ways for that writer to have gotten his material mm. to that place. You know what I mean? So tell me a little bit about those kind of producers, these different 20 ways. Tell me about three of them. Uh, well, you've got... People like myself who are independent producers who, you know, aren't uh, – well, let me, let me back up and say that when I used to run some of these companies, <clears throat> we would get unsolicited submissions all the time. But we couldn't risk reading any of them mm-hmm. because, first of all, we were being inundated already from known sources. Uh, but also, you know, the idea of – you know, a lawsuit or anything like this, and you had to cover yourself. Um, and there were very specific mandates from the studios. We're looking for these four things. And so you would only read those four things or, or look for those four things. Now, because financing a movie has become so complicated and, and, and so much more diverse, you know, you can target making a Sundance film and still be as successful as targeting a studio film. And I'm not being really clear about this. I just, I feel like it used to be very streamlined that you had to come through an agent. I don't think that you still have to do that as much if you 
are networking with assistants and because you can even go on the internet and raise the money yourself to make the film if you want to. Kickstarter, you can, Kickstarter yeah. right. You can um, get a red camera and just go and shoot it in your backyard. I mean, it. The, people are aware that they can no longer be so kind of specific and cut and dried about what the channels are that they will pay attention to. And I think that my experience is that the people that I talk to are reading a lot more because they don't know where they're going to find the next whatever. You know, Little Miss Sunshine changed things a little bit mm-hmm. even. you know, how, how did it change things? I don't know things? how, well, it changed things in terms of uh, showing an appetite for material that wasn't so formulaic. Uh, I don't know what the process was to be honest, uh, of that project. So I don't know if it changed things in terms of how the material actually made it, came to light. But just in terms of paying attention to what might have been formally considered a quirky, small, indie, not very relevant idea, uh, suddenly grabbed hold of, of everybody's interest, you know, on a much more mainstream level. And I think that 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 opened the door for writers to be able to exp- have their own form of expression like you know but you know and butter you know all these other scripts mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. have gotten a lot of attention that are really quirky out there kind of anything alexander Ted. Payne mm-hmm. makes is fits in that world yeah right? yeah and i think that that's kind of a, i don't know if it's a result of but it, it it's working hand in hand with the idea that Money is coming from a lot more independent sources and, you know, little production companies are springing up here and there in reaction to the fact that nobody could get any traction with the studio. Studios no longer develop and they just distribute big mm-hmm. movies. And they just distribute and market, right? And yeah, that's pretty, pretty much. much it. Hmm. Pretty much. So so uh, for the writer who's who's going for a different ki- kind of production source, okay, mm-hmm. you mentioned what you do. Are there other producers that just sort of bring things to the production company? Let's say, you know, that just have, have uh, relationships with uh, like Zubik films and, you know, bring things to you. And is that a different kind of producer? Well, I, I find that there are a lot of people like myself out there who Mm -hmm. are kind of doing their own thing. And we end up partnering a lot Mm -hmm. because, it's just more fun for one thing, mm-hmm. but also we all bring different relationships to the table. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I actually, I have a couple of friends who will send me material constantly and they're, I don't know where they're finding all these writers, but mm-hmm. they're finding really good writers and they're focused more on the financing and they're focused more on kind of the nuts and bolts of how do we, get some traction financially for this project and they're not so much into development stuff, which I love to do. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where he, there's one friend in, in particular who just keeps finding these amazing writers and I don't know where he's finding them. So, but, so when we talk about sort of all these producers on them, they've all got sort of a different stake in it. What what should a writer prepare for? Let's say that they get it to somebody like you, an independent producer, and that independent producer says, "Great, I know the right kind of, um, the right the right company to take it to for financing, and mm-hmm. I, I know where this could end up." 
you mentioned writers probably not going to get paid up front, right? Well, they could get an option fee. Okay. And that option would be for how long and what are tend to be the, the fees for that? Because we're not talking about like, here's a buck, right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm thinking about Alive and Well because that follows this model. Mm-hmm. Um, Von Dome optioned the script mm-hmm. uh, and then paid David to do a rewrite. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he gets a very big fee typically. He, like many of us, were around in the 90s when mm-hmm. that was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will get paid all of that at the end. But Like upon delivering a, upon the script or production. upon production? Okay. Upon production. So that's now, but so that's also a gamble for him because... It's become more it, of a gamble for, for writers it may in not, that respect. It may not be produced. I right. mean, it, they do their part of it. They're getting a, a fee for writing it up front, but not a huge one. Right. And then, like, once it's in production, they'll get a, this a much is, larger. This is, by the way... All a result of the writer's strike, I'm just going to say. Well, you know what? It is, isn't it? Is. It? it is, yeah. And, and we yeah. started this podcast, I think we've been <laughs> doing it for like a month, and then the strike broke out, and then all the rules changed. Yeah. So for these past six years, all I've been learning is like, okay, how so did they So once again, it's right. the writer's right, right. fault. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but the writer's strike did change everything. How, how did it change everything? Well, yeah. Uh it 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 took a, a a business that was already largely governed by fear mm-hmm. and put it into panic <laughs> and paranoia, oh, and uh, it really it, it changed the the focus of the studios. That I think that was the biggest change. That in concert with Wall Street like falling mm-hmm. into the ocean. Uh, was the double whammy. Because of all um, these hedge funds that were funding movies, like, they just all went... Well, they were funding mm-hmm. movies, but they were also funding the studios, a lot of them. There were a lot of, you know, big big chunks of money coming from Wall Street to the studios, and so the studios could then afford to have, like, Warner Independent and, right. you know, all these... What was the Paramount one that's now gone? Uh, anyway, lots of... Uh, departments that were not departments they were, they were independent companies um, but they were focused on not necessarily the tentpole stuff mm-hmm. that all went away and there was really a dearth for uh, I would say four years or something yeah three, three four years at least where if you had a movie that that whip would have made formerly there was nowhere to go with it mm-hmm. because there was no more Wall Street money which would have done it outside of the studio system, and there was no more studio support. So thank God that's now starting to come back Because alive. of foreign money? Because of foreign money mm-hmm. and because Wall Street's recovered a little bit and there are other, you know, wealthy individuals and, you know, coming out of India for a long time, there was money and, you know, like Reliance and places like mm-hmm. that. Anyway, other f- places kind of filled in the gaps finally but uh yeah so i'm trying to remember the original question but it had to do with <clears throat> uh studio <laughs> i don't know i no, i can't yeah. remember that i'm i'm oh it was like how did the writer strike actually change things but i think that you that you said that so it, it threw everything into such disarray that the studios actually sort of pulled off like i remember them having a great excuse to just fire writers that they had deals with to oh, get rid of projects writers that, producers that were extra weight directors everybody everybody but it was sort of like it, it was it 
totally it was and not what anybody them. wanted it yeah, was sort of like well you're on strike you're on strike okay i'm gonna honor that strike okay we're not gonna use you and then mm-hmm. never use them it again changed them the model it yes. totally changed the model yeah. and and what that means i know i remember now where this started was that writers don't get paid up front as much as they used to anywhere near as much as they used to producers no longer get any setup fees mm. and I think directors stayed intact because, you know, m- most of them come on board when it's already got some traction and, you know, but. Um, so everyone's kind of floating their incomes and like waiting for this thing to come the in while risk, they're doing The risk huge. has gone away from the studio and yeah. onto the talent. Talent meaning writers, directors, producers, whoever. Right. But, but in a way, maybe that's why things, why why some better projects are coming out because you have to be in love with this stuff in order to follow through, right? You can't just be like, I'm going to just churn out a formulaic movie because it's going to be an easy sale and then let them do it. You really have to invest, right? But here's the other thing is that they still aren't releasing as much product. Mm. Feature film. I think the the huge advance in quality has happened in television. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think the feature film business is still hanging on for dear life. Well, and all the writers are leaving, have left the feature world, and now TV is just getting inundated. Well, and it's interesting because TV used to be very interested in having big feature writers come in and do their stuff. And And now they're like, yeah, no, not so much. We got our own, you know. Now it's opposite, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So there's more opportunities for writers because there's so many different kinds of production companies because they no longer need the studios because the studios aren't going to be helpful to them anyway, right? Right. But there's going to be less money up front. So, so most There's of- less money up front, but that also allows for a wider range of creative goals. And, and, you know, because I don't know if Ted would have gotten made in the 90s. <laughs> I don't think so. But in the 80s, maybe. <laughs> maybe in the 80s. Not with those the kind drugs of drugs. Better. The drugs, yeah. the drugs the were drugs, better in the yeah, 80s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no reminiscing on my show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, so let's now talk about about small movies. And now we're not talking micro budget movies. A lot of times on this on this show, I've had independent filmmakers that are really you know, Kickstarter to, you know, doing it in their backyard. Yeah. And those are really micro budget. So when we talk about small movies, um, are we talking about five and under? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Five and under. So let's like, for example, The Starling, which is, we, we, we hit this on our 300th podcast, which is, uh, um, just in case you weren't listening a deep, which is <laughs> quite okay. Uh, I'm going to co-produce with Kim uh, something that we think is like 2.5, right? Yeah, it's going to be somewhere in that range. Yeah. So yeah. we're... Under five. Yeah. So so this is not the... It's it's small enough money that you go like, okay, that frees up some kinds of stuff, but it's also big enough that you can't just do a Kickstarter campaign and make it in your backyard. So where, where do these kind of movies fall in for, for writers and, and filmmakers? Well... <clears throat> I think the smaller the budget, the more onus there is on the package mm-hmm. and bringing in some money with it. Um, so I think it, it it's going to fall on us to get some talent attached. And, you know, I think talent also understands that they can't just wait for the next big studio movie. I mean, they all want to get one of those from time to time because those are the paydays. Mm-hmm. But then in between, they'll go and do 
more meaningful, to them, meaningful stuff. So it's actually not as impossible, I think, as it might as have it been before, to, be, right? to get cast. But once you get cast, then you need to find little kind of specialty comp- companies or, um, you know, each company has its own little mandate. Uh, there's a company out of New York that ironically, and I love them for this, but one of the things that they're looking for is they're looking for movies that will appeal to baby boomers. They're looking for <laughs> movies that will appeal to people 50 and over. That's new. Yeah. Wow. But but how smart is that, right? Well, nobody I mean, else has money. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. true. Nobody else and the has kids money. are grown up. That's, so. that's a good point. Totally smart. Um, now, it also has to work for the general population and blah, blah, blah. You know, they're not looking for, you know, a bunch of documentaries about people in old age homes or whatever. Right. But right. Um, So you just have to know the companies well enough to know where the appetite is for the kind of thing that you have. Uh, but I think in the five and under, five million and under, it really boils down to wealthy individuals just to get the, the toehold. Mm. And like, you know, a friend of mine is Texan and he's tied into a bunch of Texan oil money. And they trust him because they know him and because he's Texan. Mm-hmm. And so he got them to give, to, to promise, I don't know, like $20 million or some Whoa. crazy amount of money. And well, I, what I was does, like, what does he well. get out of it? A, a producer credit? The, the person putting up the money? Yeah. What does the Texan get? Yeah, I'd probably get an executive producer credit. So and, this is awesome. well, and a return on his investment. I mean, that's the whole idea is that they're investing in this, hoping that it's going to be a big movie and they get twice as much back. But um, it's always a gamble for for the personal investor. There's yeah. never well, any and then guarantee. they get a write off. And I, look, you're talking to somebody who <laughs> has never had that much money to play with <laughs> myself. So I don't, right. I don't know, you know, exactly how it impacts them personally. But obviously, it's an investment. Um. And then that money has to get matched by, and then you find a distributor, and you do foreign sales, and you patchwork it all together. You know, um, this is why this is why I asked him to be co-producer on this movie. Yeah, because right now she is speaking Greek. I got to say, I'm really? like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is it here? This is what this is what I do. It makes sense. See to that me. line here on page thirty-two. Move that to the bottom right. of page thirty-two. Right. I mean, that's right. like that's what I do. Yeah. Well, so. you know, there's actually a whole segment within the agency business mm-hmm. that exists now that didn't used to exist, hmm. which is they have divisions within the agency that specialize in uh, foreign sales production. You know, that will actually put together exactly that patchwork. Like um, on the foreign side, on the foreign side and domestic, and domestic side. I mean, okay. they they have their their they're kind of tied into a lot of money sources, and you know, I I know the people at CAA and at uh, at Gersh because I, I I'm essentially represented at Gersh um, who do this sort of thing, and and it's amazing. It's an, a whole world that mm. didn't used to have that much relevance, mm-hmm. and now it's absolutely key. I mean, these guys, they're the ones sitting in the power position, in my opinion. Um, it's no longer the power within the agency has shifted a little bit right. to you know, people who can help you put this together. Do you see the domestic market coming back and making it 
you know, more important than, you know, like it used to be where it was like I don't foreign think it's was ever like a small be, part. It's, it's, ever, it's go never going to be how it used to be, I don't yeah. think. And, and I think that we're going to have to really figure this box office tally measure yeah, out because yeah. it's, it still guides everything, and yet it's really not as relevant. Domestic yeah. box office, right? You know, in my opinion, I think it's only it it it's a barometer of did the big movie get to the twenty two year olds? Yeah, okay, but outside of that, mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't reflect anything useful. In my Do opinion, you, are you also looking at other means of distribution? So you know, uh, we've got like Netflix, for example, mm-hmm. you know, Amazon studios, right, uh, right. All that stuff. These, these other ways of releasing feature films. Um, is that something that also comes up in, in the dialogue when you're, well, it hasn't reading? changed our job yet. Mm-hmm. It hasn't changed the map for us, for those of us who are creating the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it will change because I think the appetite, the, the mediums are changing to reflect the appetite of the user. And, you know, I will never be the person who wants to watch a movie on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand that. But I'm surrounded by people who do. Mm-hmm. And at some point, it, they're not going to care so much about having popcorn in a theater, you know. And they're going to. How gonna, could you not care about I know, that? I know. Oh, okay. okay. No, but, but the, I, I, but the I, boomers. Yeah. The boomers are going to have nothing else to do. Yeah. Because they're all, you know, going to be retired, and they're all going to be wanting to go to the movies. Mm-hmm. So I think these New Yorkers are ahead of us. I think so too. Yes, yeah. that's, that's nice news. Actually, well, you know, at least the the guys who make ramps for things are going to be really, really happy. <laughs> oh, hey, what, new no? idea! Oh God, you just—that's just, the business you, I'm getting into. There you no? go. Oh Lord. Oh God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> God, I was—I don't even know. Okay. Well, here's the here's one thing I will say is that writing on spec it's the only way to go oh good yeah that's I mean, great and okay. even for the big writers the big writers are even doing it because yeah, they're I'm realizing that. that first of all it gives you enormous freedom if you're the big writer that doesn't care so much about selling it mm-hmm. necessarily you know um, but for any writer people aren't taking risks anymore they're not saying oh wow that that thing that was written on the napkin, that's worth $2 million. Mm-hmm. It's right. just not happening anymore. So it needs to be on the page. Mm-hmm. And um, there can't be any like ego about that anymore. Writers have to write, and we have to package, and that's what we all have to do for free. And then we sell it, and then we get to make the movie and make the money. That's Okay, so did everybody hear that out there? Everybody hear that? Yeah. Okay, so stop pitching and start writing right now. Yeah. Right now. Um, Stop bitching or pitching? Pitching. Oh, okay. And bitching, you know, but some some people, they they pitch it all to their friends and to the, you know, I've got this great idea. Well, then you don't have to write. But then they never actually write it down. You know, start (laughs) writing it right now. Um, Thank you so much, Kim, for being on on this show. My pleasure. And, you know, I'm going to have, it's, (laughs) let me tell you, Yesterday, we actually met with um, a casting associate who's mm-hmm. been on the show, and she had created a, a list for us of potential actors mm-hmm. um, so that we could reach out to the actors. And for me, it was like, you know when you're getting married and you have like a whole bunch of wedding magazines, and you're just going through <laughs> going like, I like that dress, and what about oh, that yeah. dress? You know, I'm going to pick out this this uh, centerpiece, you know, and all this stuff. It was like that, because at that point, 
you know, we don't have any money at this point. Right. So, I so it's go, like the sky's the limit. Yeah. How about that? Right. Right. It was so much fun. I loved it. But um, but then you have to cross up the crazies. And right. You have to cross and then, but also it's like, and... then who can you really get? <laughs> but it was really fun. And I'm, I'm learning as we go. And I'm so fortunate to have Kim who actually knows what she's doing. So thank you. Well, We'll get there. <laughs> we will get there. <laughs> we will eventually get there. I we'll hope. get there. Um, Adif, thank you very much yeah, for, for producing. Um, remember, take it to heart. Get it on the page. Okay, everybody start writing. Go to onthepage.tv if you want to take a class here. Uh, I'm doing a rewrite techniques class. It's all in one day. It is going to be on June 29th here at the studio, so check it out. Also, going to be doing a summer class that... Uh, hopefully will be on the website soon and it will be in person at the studio and also live streaming for the first time. Ooh. Going out to the foreign markets. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so do go to onthepage.tv and keep checking and see, see what we offer. And in the meantime, get to it and have a good writing week. 